takes away the sins of the world. That takes away the sins of the world. How many of you are glad that Christ takes away the sins of the world? I, I was talking um, to a guy that's a Hebrew Israelite and he was asking me, why do y'all focus on the cross so much? I mean, why, why do y'all do that? I mean, that's, why would you focus on a form of torture? And I said, y'all worship the cross? I said, nah, we don't worship the cross. We worship the one who hung on it. And I said, the cross is just a symbol that reminds us of him turning a form of capital punishment into a symbol of redemption. And so every time we think about the cross, we sing about the cross because we're actually singing about the one who hung on the cross. And that reminds us how God can use broken, splintered creation as a tool of redemption. The cross is a symbol of all of us who were busted and broken and splintered, but through Christ has been turned into a symbol of redemption. I wish I had some help right there. Um, I'm so thankful that I'm so thankful that God is able to turn and change and, 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 and take things that would normally not be used as uh, a tool in his hand to be a tool in his hand. All right, so this is y'all gonna have to do for me today before we get started. Now, I want, I want this service, I love y'all. I love the third gathering. This is my rowdy gathering. But know what I need y'all to do today? Uh, some people didn't come, so know what I need to do? I need some people to preach to. And so I don't know what happens in the disbursement of people sitting down, but it's like a whole row of people here. Y'all pack on the back row. Listen, we're not segregated no more. So y'all come all the way up to the front row. You know what I'm saying? So I need some people coming to the front row right here. I need some front row, because ain't nobody elders or nothing sitting here. Can somebody come here so I can preach to that row? Sometimes I, I need, I'm not gonna make split fly on you, I promise. Man, some people just move up. I just, if you don't mind, I just want some, some people. There you go. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Taking a dive. Taking a dive. Amen. Amen. I want priests. There you go. There you go. There you go. White and black people can sit on the same row. We can. We can. We don't have any rules here. This is, this is not, this is not uh, uh, the Methodist Church downtown. We, we good. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all weren't listening today. Amen. 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 Yes. Oh, that feels much better. That, that feels much better. My escapers, I'm not going to look at them. My escapers still sit on the back row. They, you know, they ready to pew when the gathering's over. It's all good. It's all good. I love you still. How y'all doing today? Oh, y'all can do better than that. How y'all doing today? Now, that's how I want to do the third gathering. I want to make sure the front row feel first. Front row. Front row. Thank y'all, brothers. Thank y'all for sitting on the front row first, taking the dive. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, front row. That's my front row people. So I had to ask them to come up. I love y'all too, just the same, equally. They just took the dive, so I'm excited about that. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord for so many different things and uh, so excited about this opportunity today that we have as we finish 2 Corinthians. Let's stand to our feet. When 2 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter, we're going to finish up today finish up today, complete uh, this book in the sense of going line upon line through it. One, two, three, read. This is the time of the 
Yeah. Amen, 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 amen. I would like to talk about today, uh, take a good look at yourself. Take a good look at yourself. Let's go before God. Father, we thank you. We honor you and we bless you that uh, we get to see things as they actually are. Being a believer in Jesus Christ means seeing things as they are, yet not remaining where we are. And so, God, I pray today that as we close this chapter of exposition, that our lives would still be open to the information that's in this book. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, so we have come to the close of our work through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and I'm hoping that you found something helpful for your soul yeah. to help you develop, to help you to grow, and to help you to know God more effectively. Um, we've gone through so many contours. I, I remember when we went through 1 Corinthians, and now we're going through 2 Corinthians, and they are tightly bound together, uh, although they uh, have different angles to them. They are tightly bound together as books that are coherent in what they're trying to communicate to the Corinthian church. And as Paul has come to a close, he said a lot to the Corinthians. He's challenged them. He's encouraged them. Uh, he's always uh, tried to promote God's redemption and his redemptive work um, in their lives. And, and, and I'm excited that being a believer doesn't mean that you are under condemnation 
but you get a chance for God to see a bird's eye view into your mess and then redemptively by the power of the cross deal with your stuff. That, that was your amen part right there. That was, a, that was a good moment to thank God for his mercy in your life, that you're no longer looking at judgment. How many of you under the sound of my voice glad that even though you got sin in your life, if you know Jesus, guess what? You're not going to be judged. That is amazing. But you're worked, you're worked with. And that's, uh, Corinthians is a, is a book or books that to me displays the patience of God with us. Because when you look at the type of sins that they were wrapped up in and that God would still write two books to them, send apostles to them. I mean, it was, we, we would like to get a lot of questions answered if we had us some apostles, some real ones anyway, that were sent to us. And, and, and we'd be able to ask them a whole bunch of questions. But they had great access. But it's interesting that carnality and sin can fog your eyes of what you have in front of you. And one of the challenges with that is because sin and carnality can so cake over your commitment and crush uh, your Christ-centeredness and, and, and bring calamity uh, to, your, to, 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 to your greatness, is that, is, that, is that what can happen is, is that we as believers need to be brought close to examining ourselves. Examination is a very, very good thing because examination means that God has given you the grace to see. And if he's given you the grace to see, that means the blinders of Satan have been taken off your eyes. And I'm so glad that I no longer have Satan blinding me from seeing the glory of the gospel of peace. And so we come here to a passage after Paul has talked to them about all types of stuff. He talked to them about being in cliques. He talked to them about the fact that you're, you can go through a mess and God comfort you and God will give you some overflow for somebody else going through a mess after you finish your mess or while you're still going through the mess. He, he began talking to them about the fact that he's qualified for ministry, not because of whether or not he lives in a penthouse or in a ranch, but it's because of the sufferings that God uses to qualify him and show him he's on the right track. It's interesting. That's what's crazy about Christianity. Difficulty doesn't necessarily mean you're off course. Uh, difficulty can mean that you're absolutely, unadulteratedly right on course. That, isn't that something that you can be smack dab in the middle of God and in the middle of a storm and the worst storm of your life? It's a wonder that the power of the gospel and the voice of the Spirit can speak to us in the midst of all of that difficulty. So this is a confrontational book, and so it ends the same way. Pretty confrontational. Christianity is not a sucker religion. It's not a punk religion. It is a faith where you get to get God in your grill telling you about yourself so that you can grow. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost like, I mean, you know, it, it's Paul's, as he's telling them about themselves, which brings me to my first point, if you're going to take a good look at yourself, number one, you're going to have to recognize self-examination is a major part of the faith. Self-examination is a major part of being in the faith. Look at what it says in verse one. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Now, 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 it's almost like two things. It's an act of grace and it's an act of finality. Sometimes when you confront somebody, you have to know that you're open to talking to them and hearing from them, but you also have to know it's going to be a limit on how many times I talk to you about this. Let me see if I can make a plan because y'all are looking at me funny. You, 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 ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever went to somebody, you went to them a whole bunch of times, I'm going to tell you one last time. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know, you know, it's like back in the day when you, when you, when you put your finger in somebody's face order. 
and you say, and the person be like, don't touch me. I'm telling you, don't touch me. I'm telling you, if you touch me, it's on. I ain't touching you. I'm just telling you. This is the last time I'm going to tell you this. Or the other person say, I'm telling you right now, if you touch me, this is going. I know ain't nobody done that this week. You know, I know ain't nobody done that this week. That, 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 when, when a woman starts the final, the clap thing, that means you better back up, right? Right, fellas, we go like this. Fellas, don't do this. That's not, that's not what you do. Women, fellas, do like this. Ladies, go like that. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. If you want to know why, meet me at the door. But, 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 but it's interesting. It has that spirit of it, but it has an expectation of not a, a physical fight breaking out, but it has just that disposition of, man, I'm sick of talking to people who should be growing and walking with the like. Why am I talking to you like this? I mean, the first time Paul went to them, they got saved. They, they heard the gospel. They made professions of faith. That's the key thing to say here. And I want to tell you why utilizing the language of a profession of faith is important. I remember when um, I, I was um, with a, 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 a well-known evangelist, and I mean, this guy, every time he preaches, a thousand people come for It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I, and I asked him about it. He said, I call these professions of faith. And I'm going to tell you why he calls those professions of faith in a minute, because this text is going to help us to recognize biblically why when someone confesses Christ, we call it a profession of faith. But when he got there, the first time Paul gets there, he, uh, uh, he, he does altar call or whatever he does to say, who wants to trust Jesus as Savior? Boom, they, trusted, they, they made a profession of faith saying they trusted Jesus as Savior. He, he disciples them for a little while, him and his team dips. They go out and they go do other work or under persecution, whatever he's dealing with, right? So he gets word that the Corinthians are tripping. So basically he gets word that like, they're saying they're saved, but they're acting in a way that doesn't look like that. So Paul's like, all right, I got to make a trip back to Corinth. So he makes a second trip. He gets there, and it's worse than he thinks. As a matter of fact, he even hears it before he gets there. Uh, a, a young man has started engaging in activities with his stepmom. And so Paul said, like, has it gotten that bad where you guys can be desensitized to this type of sin? And as a matter of fact, the church wouldn't deal with it. Oh, help me. In other words, in other words they, were, they were letting people get away with stuff, and there was no community commitment to one another. And so they would just let people come in and live how they wanted it, calling it the gospel, calling it biblical, oh, you're forgiven, just keep doing you. Like, I know we don't do that today, but he was like, just do you, right? And so Paul's like, like, listen. The, the, like, this type of stuff y'all doing is not even seen among non-Christians. Like, even non-Christians looking at y'all like y'all wigging out. And you know what I'm saying? He said, like, y'all, he said, this don't even, like, unbelievers is looking at it like, wow, they want us to become that? So Christ makes you worse than we already are? The church was never supposed to be a picture of us saying, I'm saved by grace, but live like hell. Yeah. <clears throat> In other, in other words, God doesn't make an investment to send his son from heaven to earth to do all that he did down across our sins for us to live a life that doesn't submit to Now, I'm not saying, and I'll talk about this in a bit, that doesn't mean we don't sin. I'm talking about we don't focus on it as a lifestyle. But, but Paul says, I'm coming to you a third time. So he's coming his third time, and it's about to be on. This is what he's going to do. He says, he says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Uh-oh. Now, when an apostle or somebody in the Bible says that, you know that it's countdown time. This is like, 
Houston, we have a problem. Because this, this points back to Matthew 18 and Deuteronomy 19:15. This points to when um, believers have to be engaged when you say you're a believer, but live in unadulterated, unfathomable sin, you go through a process to lead you to church discipline. So what he's going to do is because no one functionally in the Corinthian church is helping that we know of the church to become more effectively sanctified, a more effective example for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to make a trip there because nobody's man or woman enough to deal with the sin that's in the camp. And so what's interesting here and, and what's a challenge is he's basically like, am I going to have to commit church discipline on the entire church? And this is why churches go out of existence in our day. Churches don't go out of existence because of money problems. All churches are going to have money problems. Hold on, let me, let me, let me tell you all this again. There's nothing that happens here that doesn't happen by faith. If, if, if money was a problem for us, we would have gone out of existence a long time ago. Churches go out of existence because churches refuse to be churches. I know this is the amenless sermon, so it's okay. Um, and so what happens is, 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 is Paul is challenging them and giving them another opportunity for repentance. That's the beauty of God. He's patient. Look at, look at verse 2. He says, I warned you who sinned before, and all the others. He said, I warned, uh, I, he says, I warned them now while absent as I did when present in body, but uh, uh, on my se- uh, present and second uh, visit, I'll quote another verse, that if I come again, I will not spare them. You see, this is crazy. He said, I'm going off. <laughs> I mean, that's what he basically said. When he said, I'm not going to spare you. He said, I'm not mixing my words I'm going through the roof. Why? Because he loves them. When you love somebody, every now and then you can go through the roof when you talk to them. Because sometimes, some people don't understand nice. Some people can't say, man, I just want to talk to you. Will you just consider not doing that anymore? You guys, listen, I I didn't talk to you 15 times about the same thing. <laughs> now, don't use words that are out of the realm of eternality, you know. <laughs> Some of us say, see, pastor, you don't know my block. See, people don't even understand that. You can raise your voice, but you got to bring some of them four-letter joints up in there, and we got to get it popping. You know, I'm, about, I'm ready to, I'm, I'm that one pastor to get it. But see, that's you. That's, see, when somebody do like that, you know they be tripping. You know the person be going like this. You don't know whether they're directing a choir or getting ready to uppercut somebody, right? <laughs> a turn-up ministry, right? And so he said, but I'm not going to, he said, but I'm not going to spare. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to spare anyone. He said, because I have to deal with these issues because the sanctity of the mission of the gospel is, is connected to our willingness to be a community that wants to grow spiritually. And so Paul says, I, I, I'm not going to spare anyone, but he goes further. And he takes it deep for us. He says, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, <laughs> he is not weak in dealing with you. It's funny. Somebody, you be done led him to Christ, walk with him, all that. 
And then when you say something they don't agree with, now you're not saved, now you don't, have to, now you don't believe. So now, so now, Paul like, so now I'm not an apostle because I'm jamming you up. You understand that? Oh, so, but I was an apostle when I was, when I was helping you. You understand what I'm saying? When I led you to Christ, when I baptized you, and, and, and you were excited and all those different things. And he says, but now see, see that's, that's when you know you have to check your heart. Because what happens is, is the truth doesn't change. You've got to be careful of trying to conform God to you. And so what the Corinthians are finding themselves in is they're trying to conform the Lord to their own rubrics, right? And so Paul is challenging that reality by saying, listen, don't try to make me wrong because I'm telling you truth now, right? They say, well, Paul, the truth quote is up for the day, and you can keep going, right? So he says, but it is but it's powerful among you. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. This is great. So what Paul is saying here is he's talking about and he's playing up against the same idea that the Corinthian church values Christian weakness as true weakness and human strength as stronger than Christianity. So what he begins to do is he rubber, because you got to understand these were the elite. You understand? These were the, these were the, these were the Tribeca Loft Christians. You understand? Lower East Side, Upper East Side Christians. You understand what I'm saying? These were the Chestnut Hill Christians, the Voorhees, New Jersey Christians. These were the, these were the Rent, Rent, House Square Christians. You know, these were the Newtown Square Christians. I mean, these were the, these were the Springfield Christians. You understand what I'm saying? These were the Haverton, Havertown or Haverton, according to your palate, um, where you from. This the, this the, this the Lower Marion Christians. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? This this is 40,000, 50,000 a year for private school children Christians, right? These are them, these are them. But see, these were the, they, but they weren't, they weren't hood rich. See, there's a difference between hood rich and rich rich. Right, okay, let me see if I can make it plain. But so some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. See, hood rich get a dollar, they got all their money around their neck. Walking around, gold helmets on, riding their dirt bikes down the street, you understand what I'm saying? See, see, rich rich, they get a little, little outfit. A little subtle something. You got to really get up on it. Oh, that's quality Egyptian cotton. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you, know, you know, they may have on a little washy wash and their little cuff coming. You're like, bling. Oh, okay. No bling, bling. But I know what that is. I know what that is, right? And then when they get together and they huddled up, they, I just got to give you a picture. When they huddled up together, they're talking, how, how are you doing? And then a loud one comes, how, how are you doing? They all move out the way and they all go together and lead a loud person over there because they're, 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 they're on a whole nother level with theirs, right? So what happened is, is they were the type that would go to the Coliseum and they would go past the barracks where the, where the, where the warriors are playing or whatever, and they give them a high five, you know, and go like that and go to their seat because they got special seating because they knew the guys, right? That's the type of people they were. So they expected to come in the church and be treated with worldly value in a heavenly place. So what, so what would happen, so what would happen, what would happen is, is poor people would come in and they would act like they're better than them because they're bringing worldly value into a Christian sphere. And, and, and so Paul is challenging them because they don't think they're bad because their value in the world doesn't hit their character. And so he has to keep chipping away at their view of strength to help them to understand what weakness in Christ means. So that's why it's hard to identify with a rich God who makes himself poor. When you value, like it's hard because you can't relate to a God. Why would a God make himself poor? Now you're backing up from the gospel because the gospel devalues what you value. And so, and, so, and, so, and so it's interesting as Paul begins to walk with them, 
and develop them and begin to challenge them in all of these different areas because he's saying, man, if, I'm, I'm really concerned about where your faith is going. Now, this is going to be powerful right here. Check out what Paul says. Paul says in the next part, he says, examine yourselves. Wow. He says, examine yourselves. It's powerful. Examine yourself points to this idea to test or to put to the test in order to ascertain the nature of something, particularly character, the authenticity of something. And so, in other words, he, he tells them to examine or test yourselves to see whether, or, uh, whether you are in the faith. Now, I, I remember over the years, I've been like, man, I can't, he can't be saying what I think he's saying. So there were some scholars that say, this just means that test yourself to see if you're operating in the sphere of where Christianity takes place, right? So I was like, oh, that, that's maybe what it is. No, 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 no. There's a point to when a person doesn't, doesn't like the Bible, doesn't pray, doesn't refine his sermons, never gets convicted about their sin, and, and freely can sin with a profession of faith, but never feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you got to ask a tough question. You got to ask a tough question. It's a question where, in our world, don't judge me, only God can judge me. You don't want him to do that. You don't want only God. I don't want God to judge me. Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, if you believe in me, you passed out of judgment. So if you say only God can judge me, that means you haven't passed out of judgment. That was for free. So... So Paul is saying, check yourself to see if you're a Christian. Check yourself, examine yourself to see if you're authentically saved. Let me, let me explain something to you, family of God. I am not arrogant enough to think that as much as I preach and much as I study and much as you hear the gospel, that every one of you under the sound of my voice know Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says otherwise. Bible says in either Matthew 24, 25, it talks about the fact, it was a parable that Jesus talked about, about the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the parable of the weeds. And some servants planted wheat, and they went back later, and what happened was, is weeds started to grow up next to it. And they went and told their leader, they said, listen, um, it's, it's somebody, so your enemy has sown weeds among you, among your, weeds among your wheat. And he, and, and he went out and looked at it. He said, yeah, you don't, 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 don't pull the weeds out because if you pull the weeds out too early, it will actually, their, their, their roots are entangled with the wheat. And so you'll uproot them and destroy the wheat early. So he says, wait until it's harvest time. And when it's harvest time, then you can harvest both, and then you, se you separate the wheat from the weeds. And there's a day coming where Jesus is going to tell us who's his and who's not. The desire, though, is is that, see, because everybody has this easy believism thing. Did you say the prayer? Did he say the prayer? Did he say the prayer? 
It's just say the prayer. I, I, I confess them all. I confess them all. Jesus, Jesus. They don't understand what happened. Like a lot of times we're having people repeat stuff, and they don't really understand the weight and gravity of salvation. They don't understand that they have to repent of their sin. That's why we got to stop telling people, do you want to go to heaven? The Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches preach heaven. Show me in the Bible where the Bible says, you want to go to heaven? Trust Jesus. Bible never says that. Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says something different. He says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Bible says this is eternal life that you know God and his only son. So w- w- when you preach heaven, you actually preach another gospel. Come on. Uh, <laughs> be- be- because, because going to heaven was never the goal of our salvation. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we don't spend eternity in heaven. Come on. If, you read Reve- so you, if, you, if you read Revelation 21, we're on earth. Want to go to heaven? Heaven's just a holding place for the redeemed with the presence of God until his tabernacle comes on earth. Now, I want to be where he is. I want to be, that's what the Bible says, where I am, ego I me, where I am, you may be also. See, heaven is about Christ. Heaven is about access to God. Heaven is not about heaven. And if you focus people in on heaven, you just have a hopeful sinner. Oh, come on. Woo. We're, supposed to, we're supposed to proclaim. We proclaim him. That's what the text says. So when it says examine yourself, this is the examination process. Can you sin and feel nothing? Can you just go your way? Can you just, we're good. Can, we just, can you just look at porn over and over and over again and relieve yourself over and over and over again and feel nothing? Can you get drunk night after night after night, hangover, Tylenol, ibuprofen, water, coffee, and feel nothing? Can you be prideful and angry and greedy and not feel anything? See, that's how you know you're not saved. You know you're not saved if the Holy Spirit never convicts you of sin. Be very afraid if you can do what you want to do and come to church. Be very afraid that you can lift your hands and worship and cry to a God you care nothing about. How do you care? I cry and worship. I feel his presence. No, no, no. That's endorphins. That's not the spirit. It's music therapy if you don't know God and worship. I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I'm, not, I'm telling my story because I grew up in the United Methodist Church, and I, I, I grew up, and I was an alkalite, and I, and I grew up in the neighborhood. Where, I grew up in the hood, so I wasn't smoking weed like my boys. I wasn't tapping situations like my boys. You understand what I'm saying? Some of y'all know what I'm saying. It's a future, you know, boom. So I, you know, I, I wasn't wild enough. I was a serial monogamous. 
So I thought I was better. I didn't smoke weed and sell drugs, sell crack, so I thought I was better. And people told me I was better than everybody. Eric, you're the good kid. And I believed that I was the good kid. I believed that I was better than my kids, than my friends that were getting shot up, and my friends that were getting pregnant out of wedlock. I believed that I was better because people told me I was better. And I grew up and I was an acolyte. I wore the little robe that stopped right here. And <clears throat> we had the little gold joint with the little bell looking thing on the front of it. And then a little yak on the back where you light on fire. And you walk down the aisle and we say, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. And I'm walking down the aisle and I'm, I'm you know, I'm marching. And, you know, I'm like Nehemiah's age. My son, seven. From, from my youth, I couldn't, I used to sing Wreck the Church. Youngin'. I sang Kumbaya at four years old. People were broke down, crying. I got up, I, get, I, light, I, light, I light the fire, and I sit down, and look at Eric. We come to choir practice, you choir practice. I was telling my boys on the block, I said, yo, come with me to church today. They said, any girls there? I said, yeah. They was like, bet, I'm there. <laughs> so so I, they, said, they said, that's the biggest drug dealer on the block up in here. They said, yeah, Eric brought him. Man, God's hand shows on Eric. But all I did was tell them there was some girls at church. <laughs> Dudes up in there with beepers on, coke in their pocket, and knots. I mean, wads of cash, right? So, and, and I'm thinking, I'm, I think I'm better than this. So I go to college, you know, because of the hardness of my household, in the sense of my parents trying to raise me right, and I didn't like that my friends had more freedom than me. So I was like, I got to college. I was like, I'm going off. Like, I'm finna lose all. My, mine. But I'm a serial monogamous. I'm a serial monogamous. I'm not like them. I said, all my friends, y'all, y'all wilder. But, I, you know, I don't hurt girls and stuff like that. Then one day, I was liking this little honey dip, and she's like, I'm going to church. And she's, I said, I'm going to. I, I go with you to church. Shoot. Go to church. I grew up in the church. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I was an acolyte. I used to sing in church. Then I said, forever, my lady. <laughs> Told you, I was in church. I grew up in church. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Doc. Some of y'all, y'all just whiz past y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so, um, and so I, get in this, I get in this session. I'm like, man, I'm going to go here a few times, and it's going to be on with her. So I'm sitting down. And you, I got, I'm scheming. And then somebody stood up at the podium and preached vicarious substitutionary atonement. I was like, what is that? And I, something was drawing me to this death. And I realized that I was a schemer. I was a liar. I was a fornicator. I was a greedy man. I was a whoremonger. I was prideful. And I threw myself on the mercy of the cross for the first time, not knowing that all of those years, I did not know God. I was a weed, a child of wrath, a son of Satan, being manipulated into following his tactics. But one day, in one moment, all of my pride, all of my greed, all of my fornication, all of my hate, all of it was washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody on the sound of my voice. You've been coming to Epiphany Fellowship because you like the multi-ethnicity. 
You come to Epiphany Fellowship because you like the worship. It's deep words and cool music. The preacher wears jeans sometimes, and you can, everybody can, he use slang, and people can, people can enjoy themselves and be around others, and all that's great, but none of that saves you. Every head bow, every eye closed. <clears throat> Maybe you're here today. People in the other services admitted it. It's a bunch of people. <clears throat> admitted, I don't think I'm saved. They, they admitted their need for God. They admitted it. They admitted that they need God. This is not to say do it because of somebody else. It's to say you're not alone in admitting that you need to trust Jesus Christ for sa as Savior. If you have any significant doubts, the Bible does say you're able to know that you're saved. But if, the, if you failed the test, what's failing the test? I'm not convicted of my sin. I can sin very easily without any type of conviction at any point in time. And that's probably a signal. I'm not talking about rededication. That's not what I'm talking about because, <clears throat> because that'll throw off what's really needed. Because that's a, that's a sign of I'm rededicating my life. No, you may need to dedicate it for the first time by faith in what he's done by down on the cross and getting up from the grave for you. If you're here today and God bowled down your lane, stand up. Let's get it right today. Anyone? Anyone says, yeah, I, I know that I don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I base my salvation on other things and not Jesus and Jesus alone. Is there anyone today? It's, 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 it's no condemnation. This is actually, this is the best situation you could be in. Thank you for standing up. Thank you for standing up. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for that. That's amazing. Amazing God's grace on you for that. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's worse to get before him in the great white throne and be embarrassed. Is there another one? Slip your hand up in the air and stand to your feet. I'd love to talk to you about, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone in the balcony, on the floor, anyone? It says, I'm not sure. I see those hands. Stand up for me. Stand up for me. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, guys. Come on right here forward. We're, gonna, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put you on blast. We're not going to put you on blast. Come on down. You can come on down. If you're standing up, anyone that's standing up, just come on front. We want to chop it up with you. Thank you, God, all for coming. Thank all of y'all for coming. <clears throat> Professional faith just means that you say you believe the gospel. But that's not really salvation. Salvation is being regenerated based on that. Regeneration means that God restarts your spiritual life with him. That's what it means. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you're standing, you could come down. If you're standing, we'd love to talk to you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Best decision you can make is to place your confidence in Christ. You may be culturally Christian. You may know how to lift your hands the right way. You may even know a lot of Bible verses. But the Bible doesn't say by Bible verses, Bible verse knowledge you're saved. It said for by grace you're saved through faith. I see you, brother. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I know it's a few more. I know it's a few more. Thank you for being honest. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Best decision you can make is to say, I want to make sure this is real. 
if that's you, if you're here today and you're wrestling with it, don't wrestle with it anymore. God wants to save you today. We implore you, be born again. Put your confidence in him for real, for real. For real, for real. Anyone else? Come forward. If that's you, come forward. Yeah. Anyone else? I'll give you one more minute. We'd love to talk to you about the need to know God through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the blatant honesty of each and every one of these people that came forward. Thank you that they're not, this, I, I don't want to play with this thing. I want to know that I've placed my confidence in the one who is able to take us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Lord, help them to recognize if they place their faith in you, there is no condemnation anymore. Placing their faith in what you did for them on the cross and getting up from the grave, it's a done deal. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Real quick, you guys, we love to take you guys in the back and chop it up with you. We love to do that. Let's give God a big old big up. Let's give God some praise.